0: Hi, welcome to this episode of the B2B Tech Marketing Talks podcast. We bring you insightful interviews with leading tech and channel leaders. I'm your host, Jeremy Bayliss. Today's theme is B2B tech sales enablement. Joining me today is Ed Badawi, the founder and CEO of Sales Inc., a company which provides businesses with a proven strategy and practical support they need to generate more sales. Today's conversation is all about how B2B tech marketing and sales are extended functions of each other and just how critical the alignment needs to be. The need to address a prospect's problems is fundamental, and it's storytelling that creates meaningful engagements. Ed's views on empathy and humility are especially insightful as he sees these qualities as essential for building strong relationships and creating positive sales experiences. I hope this conversation adds value to you and your thinking. Let's get into it. Hey, Ed, thanks for joining me today. It's really great to have you on our podcast.
1: My pleasure, thank you for having me. I've been watching it and I'm flattered that you would consider having me on board.
0: Today, we're gonna deep dive into the mind of a sales leader. We're really conscientious of wanting to understand from a sales leader such as yourself, how can B2B tech marketers and channel marketers and partner marketers get better at understanding sales cycles, how their content Mm. is being deployed and used, how salespeople are thinking and approaching. (laughs) So today's going to be a fantastic opportunity to deep dive into how marketing can enable sales, work better with sales, and so forth. But before we get into it, I'd love to hear your origin story. How did Uh, you get to the point of leading Sales Inc., your company? How are you at the point of deploying these incredible sales outreach campaigns and the work that you're doing? What's your backstory?
1: Oh, okay. I'll try to give you a, try not to spend 40 minutes on the backstory. I'll try to give you a short version. So my business partner and I, uh, Nicholas Forsyth, we met in 2011 and funny story. We were working at an investment firm and it was post-GFC and we were going back now, what, 12, 13 years. Uh, We were quite green and we didn't realize that we had been given these jobs uh, in this post-GFC world. Uh, It was quite quite a tough market. And I think from there, uh, Nick and I became we became good friends and we became good associates In the from the standpoint of the way we were excelling in a post-GFC world compared to how some of the elder statesmen in that organization at the time, who may be taking a more Wolf of Wall Street, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross approach, um, it just wasn't working. So we were kind of sitting back saying, man, let's just take the time to listen, or we've got a job to do, and can we still be impactful as salespeople in 2010, 2011, speaking to all these people who had been burnt? And we had a really customer-centric approach that just came naturally to us. And from that, we had a lot of success, and we built a strong connection and a strong bond. So fast forward a few years, and you get to that point where you know, you're doing well professionally, and you say, okay, I want to do my own thing now. So Nick went out and started an investment firm and I started a property investment firm Um, and Nick's firm was selling research and funds to investors. And he said, Hey, Ed, I've got this great solution. Um, could you come in and teach my guys how to pitch? And I was like, I think so. (laughs) Cause we had never done anything like that before. It was just from that standpoint, he's like, I'm doing operation. You showed me a few things. I don't have time to scale out the floor. Can you help scale out the floors?" by this point it was like late 2014 and I was just fell into consulting. It was essentially my friend asking me to consult for his business. But what happened from there is we had tremendous success and we almost had an overnight success. Um, Fast forward to 2015, 2016, um, Nick and his business partners at the time asked me to become a partner and then they would ask me to consult on other projects, other initiatives and all the rest of it. So I just kind of fell into being a consultant, a sales consultant who was just using the methods that we had practiced and teaching them to other people. So by 2017 Nick had the bright idea and he said, "You know what Edna, we've been in financial markets or investment markets in some way shape or form. He said, I think we can do this for many businesses. I think we can do this for different industries. I've got all these friends in different startups and I think the principles that we've applied here um I think they're scalable. They you can scale these principles across any organization. So in 2017 now, I'm kind of giving you the short version. In 2017 uh um, We packed up shop, everything we were doing, and we we got out of everything we were doing and we focused purely on Sales Inc. as a consultancy. And in 2018, 2019, the feedback we kept getting from founders, owners, CFOs, and all the rest of it is like finding it quite difficult to manage salespeople. We can understand. We Mm. weren't the easiest salespeople to manage either because it's like, the better you do, you can become a bit ego-fueled. And if you're not doing well, then you can become a pain. So... We were listening to these business owners, these CFOs, and they just kept saying, can we outsource to you? Can we outsource to you? Hmm. And we thought, oh, this might be one of those moments where you know, it's time to innovate. So we said, okay, well, let's figure out what that looks like. And by late 2019, we moved from just and and training and scaling flaws with a hands on approach to, hey, you know what? We'll create the sales strategy for you, but we'll also execute the strategy for you. Uh, and that's how we got into it. And we started in all sorts of industries. We started in t- financial markets, financial services, uh, technology, hospitality, technology, random things. And then at the start of 2020, when the pandemic hit, we were like, Oh, have we made a big mistake here? And then the phone just started ringing. And interestingly enough, it was a lot of the tech companies that were ringing. It was a lot of people in cloud. Mm-hmm. Um. You no, know, and there was a lot of people in cybersecurity and they were like, look, we need to keep going. And I, they felt like they needed to diversify their risk a bit, excuse me. So from there, we just started applying our principles to cybersecurity, cloud campaigns, SaaS campaigns, DRAS campaigns, all those kinds of things. And it, yeah, it just kind of took off from there. And since then, yeah, we've just helped a lot of different companies scale their solution out into the market, scale their teams and unlock opportunities for them.
0: Yeah, it's amazing to hear just how organic that the opportunities that have presented themselves, you've grasped and you've grown and evolved and developed some um, methodologies and process around and I recall back on how we met through mutual clients where we're supporting tech businesses from a demand gen perspective, and we're working with them and understanding their brand strategy and how they're telling their brand story to attract prospects. And then being introduced to you through the successes that you were delivering for mutual clients, as I said, uh, uh, it was great to see also a culture alignment. And just even in the way that you're describing it, it's just so refreshing to hear this take of you know really being in service of others and driving successes and, and this really humble approach that you take. It's awesome to hear your story.
1: Oh, thanks, uh, you, Jeremy, man. That's very kind of you to say. We appreciate that a lot. I um, you know, appreciate you just reaching out to us as well uh, and introducing people to us um, just without even necessarily meeting us and just saying, hey, you would like to speak to you. I think there's somebody that you might be able to help based on what we've heard. So I really appreciate that from you and your team as well, because I think it takes a lot of confidence to be like, you know what, maybe you need to speak to somebody else right now at this point in time. And and then we met each other and you came into our office. You know, it was a strong value alignment straight away. And that's that's what it really comes down to. Our approach is driven by our value set. Mm -hmm. Business is tough. Sales is tough. Sales is notoriously an unscrupulous industry. It's got a bad reputation and we've got a business called Sales Inc. So I think the first thing that when you hear that name, it's quite polarizing. Right? So straight away, we're always met with this. Like, this could really not be the right decision to engage with these people. And we own that. And I think the big difference for us is having those values. And I think when we first met, it was, it's really nice meeting different marketers and sales companies who've got strong values like yourself. And that's where it all comes from for us.
0: Want to actually kick off with something you just mentioned and talk about those challenges? Sales is tough, and any yeah. <laughs> marketers more broadly, but in the context of this podcast, many tech marketers or B two B tech guys, they're often not exposed to the day to day of what sales people face. <laughs> they don't particularly know or understand the pressures or the challenges or maybe the stress that the individuals have to carry in order to meet targets. Could you tell me a little bit more about that for those who are doing marketing without being exposed to the sales team's day-to-day lives?
1: Yeah, I can. I can. This is a good way to put it. This is what we always say to our guys when they come in, because all of our team is on shop. And the reality is, this this is what we say. And I think this will paint a picture for the marketers. If you're a fantastic salesperson, like if you're an absolute gun, if you're a weapon and you unlock 10 relationships, if you're really good, if you're really fantastic, you're going to face an 80% rejection rate. So it's brutal even on a good day. Nobody likes getting rejected once, let alone eight times. And eight times is, oh, you did a great job. If you get rejected nine out of 10 times, you did a good job. You know what I mean? If you're getting one out of 15, let's say your conversion rate's around that mark, ah, you're doing okay. You're hanging in there. You know what I mean? If you're a one out of 20 kind of rep, we might need to tighten up. So the first thing is, um, yeah, sales reps are expected to write business. They're expected to unlock relationships. They're expected to sell a solution. But the way you've got to look at it is, you know, the rejection is inevitable. If you're absolutely wonderful, fantastic, got the best product in the market, let's say, you're still going to eat a lot of dirt, as we say around here. So I think for that reason, sales professionals, especially the modern day sales professional should be treating sales as a sport because
0: hmm. it's
1: a tough climate, but what's the beautiful side of that right? is that once you figure it out, the the upside to that is unlocked. You can uncap your earnings, You, know, you build all these tremendous relationships. You actually get to help people directly if you're going about it the right way. So it can be extremely rewarding, but just like doing a marathon, you'll be ex- exhausted at the end of it. Whether you do a good time or not, it's, it's taxing. And I think if Marketers can understand that and really have a bit of empathy for that. I think then all of a sudden, in my experience, generally speaking, the sales professional becomes, it feels a little bit more loved a little bit more understood. We all have to feel a little bit more understood. And that's the first thing. The second thing then is, and this is something, this is a common problem that I see is there should be a unity. All right there should be congruency between the sales and the marketing team I, I truly believe that there should be more collaboration in those departments and the message that is created let's say just to use some everyday terms the message that is introduced at the top of the funnel you need to be conscious of then okay what are we then you know how is that going to translate to the bottom of the funnel when these guys are closing because ultimately as well the marketing people are the marketing professionals You want to be able to say, Hey, we generated that lead from this campaign and it resulted in that deal from that particular individual. And now we can measure our success and we have return on investment. But the idea that marketing and sales teams are different, the different departments, they don't need to coexist. They don't need to have congruence Mm -hmm. and that the marketing team is just doing their job and that, Hey, we filled up the top of the funnel, whatever we didn't. We had some message out there that is never going to be touched on again, but it got the lead it's okay, cool, but you need to really consider who's going to now be managing that relationship, who's going to be managing that relationship. And from there, I think you need to make sure that they've got the ammunition to succeed, which means you have to listen to them as well. So it's a two-way street. And mm-hmm. I think um, that's not really happening often in my yeah, opinion. It's, it's yeah, really, Are you seeing it?
0: Yeah, look, I, I agree. And I think that there's a tradition there that needs to stop that. Somehow the two departments are adversarial <laughs> with each other, or at somehow are at odds with each other. And I understand how this has occurred over time within companies, but I also agree with you that the future of high-functioning, high-performing businesses means complete alignment from end to end. One hundred percent. And some SaaS-based companies are moving more into a space where uh, sales and marketing are sitting under CRO type roles, or there's a look towards how can the story that we're telling at brand level actually be meaningful for a sales conversation. Um, And that's something you just mentioned that I'd like to dive into even deeper because it's something we're very cognizant of from a strategy perspective at value proposition level of what, what does a company stand for and what is it actually solving and how is it not competing on features and benefits the end user but how is it actually solving business problems and how does that translate into a sales conversation that potentially gets lost at a marketer's level because they're thinking about the market as a whole and looking to go out and source leads or prospects or demand and they're then trying to look to understand how to convert it into for sales team conversations. But yeah, tell me a bit more about how you see that. What would be a potential way or how can a marketer understand what is actually meaningful in a sales conversation? What's taking place in those conversations that marketers would be unaware of? Well,
1: I think take it back to one of the very first things you just said. Um, and that's the story right mm. it's a story everything's a story um life is a story you know stories have been passed down since the beginning of time we love to tell stories we love to hear stories and i'm not talking a waffly story you got to have context um so you've actually got to first place you've got to start like with your avatar who do we want to speak to mm. and what is the story that they need to hear and in that story we're not even you know i would say this and, and the marketing team and the sales team, m- m- I must say, they need to be on the same page with what is our story? What is our narrative? That should be like, everybody should be on that journey. It shouldn't, you shouldn't have separate departments from, you know, the receptionist at the front desk to chief executive officer to um, marketing team, sales team. Everybody should be across at the product team. Everybody comes into it. And then you've got to ask yourself, how do I introduce that story? And I'll go into a bit more detail of what I believe constitutes a story or makes up a story and the framework that we use to tell the story. But then how do I then introduce this story in a digestible manner? And by introducing this story in a digestible manner, so we're not overwhelming, obviously you're not coming out, but Jeremy, obviously the way you write content and writing a 40 page document. And expecting somebody to process that. So the way we always look at it is we say, okay, the sales and marketing team, everybody needs to be on the same page. Forget about sales and marketing. Everybody in the company needs to be on the same page. We all have to carry the same spirit to market. And I say this because when we're representing an organization, we're an extension of that organization. So we have to get straight aligned to that culture. And that's the, that's one of the things with salespeople I would say one of the stigmas, but also one of the things that salespeople are really guilty of is doing what it takes to get a deal as opposed to maybe just telling a story in a digestible Mm. manner. So Mm. if everybody knows the story and everyone's on the same page, now you sit back and you just strategically have to say, okay, how do we introduce this story? To get eyeballs, to generate a lead, to get that click through, to then capture the details and telling that story each way along the way. Okay. Now we've got a phone number. Let's say we've got an email, whatever the call to action might be. Now, where is that sales rep stepping in? reiterating the story, right? Cause you have to reiterate part last week on this episode, you would have seen this, you would have seen that. Um, and then pick it up and continue the story in a structured way that helps you get down to business. So that's the way I look at it. And that's, that's how I visualize it. And that's how we visualize it. So from our standpoint, the first thing you need to do is you need to flesh out the story. And we believe that there's eight bare ba- basic pillars to a story. And you were just talking about, and you know, I love that you're talking about features and benefits in these things, because sometimes the marketing team, they might focus on something that looks good, feels good, is beautiful, is fantastic, is excellent, but it's not really allowing you to get your hook in and to get mm. traction in the relationship. Sometimes even a good marketing campaign is going to rule people out. Like sometimes you just want people to come back and say, you know what, I like what you're doing, but it is not for me. I- I'm moving in this direction. So you at least know where you sit within the marketplace. So the first thing we always, and, and again, and salespeople sometimes have this tendency, particularly when you're selling tech, is just to jump straight into the technical deliverables, right? Oh, we've got this new plugin. It does this. We've got this thing that will obfuscate that. And no, like, no, nah, nah, nobody wants to hear that. That's not a story. That's a rough, that's a rough listen. Do you really want to expose your prospect to a rough listen? So everything has to be relevant to the prospect. And so the eight pillar of the story that we always tell and what we always flesh out is we say, okay, first and foremost, who are the key people in the organization, why are they credible? Even if we never mention them, even if they've got no place in the conversation, chances are though, you probably are going to have to mention somebody, you're probably going to have to introduce, let's say the prospect's inter- interested. You're probably going to have to introduce them to some sort of technician. Um, if you're selling a founder, they probably want to know more about your founders and your culture and your values. So the first thing we want to do is say, okay, who are the key people? Why are they are credible? Is it two, three, four, five, six? Who are they? We need to know. That's where the story starts for us. Interesting. From there, what are their philosophies and their motives? And typically that's where you start unlocking the beauty of the solution. We are motivated to solve this problem because historically you've been receiving a cookie cutter with no transparency and your costs are blowing out. Sarah used to work at this company and she noticed this problem and she didn't like it. So she took a risk and she went out and she started this organization and was driven by these philosophies and these motives. Motives are really important. Forget about your goals. You know what your goals are. We all want to make more money. We all want to help people. We all need X amount of deals or leads by this period of time. That's cool. You know your goals disassociate with them. Now focus on your motives. We always say that if you're driving your car and you see a hitchhiker holding up a sign, you're like, "Ah, I don't know if I want to pick that person up. (laughs) But if you see somebody pushing their car up the street, I think we've all pulled over and helped somebody push their car up the street Mm. or help somebody change their tire because Mm. you know what they're trying to achieve. So when we know what somebody wants to achieve, we're like, let me help you. Let me help you as Mm. best as I can. I like that. You have a noble motive. Even if I don't want to do anything with you, I might be able to refer you to somebody or whatever. And when you start sharing those motives, now you actually have more sustainability in your marketing campaigns and you have more sustainability in your sales culture. So once you establish those things, then we tend to move on. Okay, so what is now the problem that you solve? Let's get into that. So we understand your philosophies and your motives. What problem are you solving? And typically problem solving, uh, generally speaking, falls into maybe three or four categories. It's an economic problem. Um, So we can get you a better return. We can get you return on investment. We can save you money. Uh, maybe it's an efficiency story as well. Because a lot of the professionals that I think we have to understand as well, particularly in tech, a lot of the professionals that we're speaking to, they're busy they're smashed mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um they've got a lot on their plate and quite often they don't have a lot of resources because they're also misunderstood so you've got to really be clear about the problem you're solving for that particular individual and let them know this is the problem that we're going to solve and if it's an efficiency problem for you we're going to create that bandwidth with for you if it's an we're economic gonna, problem o- we'll create it and the last thing I was going to say is compliance usually it f- might fall into compliance so be clear about we're going to solve these problems. Don't go into the technical deliverables, but be super clear.
0: I was going to jump in on this particular point because I'm fascinated by this and also live and breathe this every day as well. Um, the instances where you're selling into to people who, may not be aware of that problem and yet you're trying to talk about the fact that they have a problem or conversely they don't understand necessarily that they should be looking to resolve something because they've accepted it and therefore are unable to maybe perceive the value of the product or service as a result And, and how do you deal with those types of scenarios?
1: Okay, so if we're talking about an economic problem an efficiency problem, a compliance problem, if they're real problems they actually are creating a level of emotional discomfort. But like a lot of problems we might have, we become accustomed to just dealing with them, it's just another day, this is my life, this is my world, I'm going to the office, I've got no help, I've got no resources, oh we're losing money on this department or it's not making money or that's just expensive, I just accept that for what it is. So there's a problem, How does that problem impact that decision maker day to day? Mm. So I'll give you an example. Uh, Might be a lot of people using tape drive. A lot of IT professionals using tape drive at the moment. Like I'm comfortable with tape drive, it's fine. Um, Well, you don't want to move to the cloud, let's say, for whatever reason, say, yeah. Okay, cool. You can sit there and talk about the problem with tape all day, but what is it like to have to Wake up every single day. For example, nothing against tape, by the way. Tape is cool. (laughs) Just an example. (laughs) We love tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, What's it like? So we might say, hey, mate, like, how's it going? Are you still changing those tapes every day? Like, and they're like, you know what, I am. And that's just a very micro example. But it's like, how is that problem impacting that person? Mate, I'm guessing you're pretty stretched and that you're probably working with legacy software and you've got a very small budget. Does that sound about right? So now all of a sudden, we've actually made a human connection. So if you want to touch on a problem, touch on how that problem is actually not just impacting that business, but how is it impacting that particular professional who you are going to speak to and build a relationship with. Um, and I think from there, once people, once you hear that sigh of, oh, yeah, I'm tired of doing this, or I'm tired of doing that, or, mate, what's new? It's always been like this. And you start hearing that human side, now all of a sudden it's a lot easier to be like, well, let me tell you something you know what I mean so that's that's what we always look for what is the human problem that you're solving
0: so now this is this the whole podcast could effectively be about this topic this <laughs> is this is the real deal right here i think this is where the volume of experience that you're bringing to this conversation is really enlightening because having the ability to sit across from someone and understand that you're not just pitching a product or hardware or something that you're actually looking to understand as you're, let's use a sales term, as you're looking to qualify this person, uh, you're looking to understand in what ways can we build this connection such that person's going to open up and tell me and trust me to tell me about their actual problems. It feels like you're at that point not really selling. You're helping them solve. At that point you're advising ryan
1: yeah for sure absolutely um you have to be a physician of sorts right and i know that sounds super cliche and lame but you have to be in this day and age i told you that so when we came in and this is why i tell the story about 2010 being investment advisors in a post gfc world in which um people were burnt man people were jaded people lost a lot of money they lost a lot of their fortune they spent a lot of time trying to accumulate wealth just to give it back by what seemed to be like almost an overnight event. So it's like, we went into this mentality. We're talking to actual people. Okay. Yeah. We know what our goal is, but we're talking to people. Let's listen to them. What are they going through? Because even if somebody is jaded and having a bad time, we all want to get better. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's one of the cool things, particularly when selling in the Australian market. And I know you work across many markets and as do we, but particularly in the Australian market, People will hear you out if you treat them with respect and actually make a connection with them. And that's why we always start with who are you? Who are the key people? Who's driving this business? What are your philosophies and motives? There's this common problem that we found because we used to be in your position that actually kind of makes work suck and makes life suck and makes things a little bit more anxious. Write it from that perspective because we do write email campaigns to databases. Write it from that perspective of I'm telling a story that maybe you can relate to. And if they can't relate to that story, if they do not have these problems, if they are not suffering, if they are super happy with what they're doing, move on. Collect the data. Find out where they're at, maybe who they're using, what is making them happy. Collect that and information and say thank you and move on. And I think when we talk about sustainability and selling, one thing we always say is you at least want to get the thank you. But if you're not listening, if you're not trying to solve a problem and you're just trying to push your agenda, people are just going to hang up on you. People are not going to want to take your call, and those marketing efforts then go to waste. So yeah, I think you're 100%. You need to really think about the problem you're solving for that individual. And it's funny because we've all been in a cell where it's okay. I've got my evangelist. He might be, let's say the IT manager, but he might not have final say. I've got to sell the CFO, but the CFO has got a whole different set of problems. He doesn't care about you holding a bunch of tape. For example, the CFO cares about is that stuff going to save me money over the next 12 months? Am I going to look good in my job? So the narrative or the part of the narrative that appeals to the IT manager, the evangelist, is not going to be the same narrative that appeals to the CFO. Mm-hmm. So we all need to be cognizant of different things are going to appeal to different people. Different people are going to have to come on the journey. And every person on that journey, you need to solve that individual's problem. Now, if there's four or five people on that panel and you've touched on the four or five problems that you're solving and three out of five people are like, like that. now great. You know, you're winning. And now the next organization that comes in, the meeting that comes in after you, the two o'clock, you've just done the one o'clock. And they're not really selling from the perspective of I'm solving your problems, even if they have a better feature set, even if they've been around longer, who do you think they're going to go with? Mm. So it's a patient approach. Um, I think it's an orthodox approach, but it might be considered unorthodox. Um, But quite often you'll win by default. Because the other organizations that are not taking that same approach, they actually, you know, they put their foot in it, so to speak. So that's the way we look at it. And and it's served us well so far.
0: You mentioned content there. Um, I'd love to pick your brain about what ways is sales using content? We're really moving into a space where the word content or content marketing, it's becoming redundant because Mm -hmm. it is how... An organization as a whole is communicating in the way that it's presenting itself to market and the way that you might be communicating to the ASX um, or media releases or through to marketing campaigns, through no one's sales conversations. This is all content, but it's broken up and siloed out into the different departments. and, And so oftentimes term sales enablement gets used how does marketing (laughs) develop enable or enable sales and then it produces some stuff that they might ask for or not ask for and not use then Um, and and that usually consists of data sheets and brochures and they they love calling them leave behinds even though it's (laughs) not even printed anymore and so all this stuff gets done but from your perspective what matters
1: Man, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but again, it comes back to, you can't just build, you can't just build one bit of content in isolation, right? It's got to fit into the bigger ecosystem and you have to understand where you're fitting into that ecosystem. You have to understand the purpose of that content and what we're introducing here. And for the sales team, they need to know, again, they need to know where they step in and where they're picking it up from that. So for example, okay, we're going to write a content piece and we're going to send it out to a database, let's say of. We're going to send it out to your database, Jeremy. And in that database, you've got you know, 500 SaaS companies and you wouldn't mind hypothetically picking up one or two extra companies, right? So we say, okay, um, we're going to write a content piece to them. It's going to be for them. It's going to be about them. It's not going to be about us, right? It's never about us. As we said, we're the physician. You don't walk into the doctor's office and the doctor tells you about his day. <laughs> so, So we're writing this content piece. So let's say the marketing team is writing this content piece. The sales team... It needs to be written that, okay, let's assume for a moment that somebody picks up the phone and calls on the back of this content piece. We need to know what the next conversation is, right? And so this whole idea of we wrote this piece and we did this big piece and we got all these eyeballs and we got all these views and we got 10 leads. And now we need to focus on sales enablement. That conversation has to be had much earlier. If you want to use a sporting analogy, you've got to know what the fight plan is for all 12 rounds. And sometimes the plan goes, the plan goes astray and that's fine. But you want to always try to bring it back into the game plan cause things happen, so you need that framework now. So you're writing these content pieces, you're pushing them out and you're saying, okay, what is the next? Cause the way I see it is like this. What is the next bit of content that we're going to give them? But that content might be a sales pitch, man. That's still content. Mm-hmm. That content might be a presentation. So we have to think of everything in terms of content. Everything is content. It just might be delivered by video, it might be delivered over a phone call, it might be delivered by email, it might be delivered on a website. So we have to think about this and we have to unify teams and we have to have this understanding of like, I'm going to run Point, I'm going to write this piece, I know it's going to do well. It's going to touch on our motives, it's going to touch on the problem we solve, we're going to sprinkle some brand equity across it because we're working with some awesome companies. Now when that happens, you now need to pick it up and you need to reiterate the problem that we solve for example. And then from there, you need to then understand that these people might have a relationship with a competitor or are considering a relationship with a competitor, for example. So go in, tell them about the problem you solve, find out where they're at, go into the points of difference now, not even going into the feature set at this point in time. But my point is we need organization. We need to know how we're going to tell the story all the way through. You can't just write one bit of, content in isolation. You have to be able to say, okay, this content is a whole journey. There's layers of content. We're going to write this, talk to the sales manager, talk to the chief revenue officer and say, hey, we're going to write this and we're going to set it up. So by the time these people get to you, if they've clicked here and we've already touched on this problem, we've touched on our motives, there's this level of awareness. We'd recommend that you go back and then you touch on the problem that we solve, for example, however you want want to do it. And then you need to be able to then listen to that sales team and say, Hey, you know what? When you use that angle, this is what happens. So I, there needs to be more com- communication at the front end. I know I sound like a broken record. So important. And then you need to be able to say, okay, how does this lead into the next conversation? And then after you have that conversation, it's back over to the content team. Okay. I just had a conversation with Jeremy. Um, yep. Jeremy's suffering from this problem. He's considering using two or three other guys, or maybe he's using this company and they kind of suck. But for that reason, we kind of suck. He, he thinks we suck as well because he's had a bad experience. We all get tired of the same brush. Uh, I want to now, and what's going to then separate us from the competitors or the, whatever it might be, is we need to talk about our point of difference. So then you might go back to the marketing team and say, we're going to have this conversation. Obviously, they're not going to do a deal right there on the spot. Uh, we need to really inspire them to have a meeting with us. So can you also now write me that point of difference piece? And can you go into the feature set and maybe why our feature sets are different? to other organizations' feature sets. So it almost needs to be this game of handball and you need to be looking at it like that. Because if you look at it from a sales perspective, there's three outcomes on a phone call. I'm happy to take the meeting. Maybe I'll take a meeting, but I need a little bit more information. Or can you get the hell away from me? How did you get my phone number? I wish I never left my details. That's that brutal part that we talked about. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So so again, we have to, you have to be empathetic to both departments to run it together. And It can't be like, we did our part, now you do your part. It's gotta be this, hey, let's handball this thing back and forth and let's drive this all the way down. Even let's drive this all the way down to the initial presentation because now I've booked the meeting with this person. I've qualified them, I've asked them all that question, the questions, I need to put forward a beautiful deck. Why is a sales guy making a beautiful deck? They're not known for their design work. Send it back to the marketing department now. Hey, I wanna touch on these pillars, boom, 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 boom. I wanna transition to then, Some of the clients we worked with, I want to transition to our guarantees and risks. So we have to have this back and forth handball mentality and you can't look at marketing just that they did their job at the top, man. The marketing team is, the marketing team is right there. Even to the proposals you're sending. Have you seen some of the proposals that go out there, Jeremy? They do not look good. They need to go back to the marketing team. They need to go back to the content team. I take it from me. Sales guys are not known for their spelling either. So, (laughs) so, so. A, it's a relationship, it's an ecosystem. We have to get on the same page. And when you do that, here's the best part the customer has a better experience, right? Because now there's congruency in the message. They're, they're now exposed to a thoughtful process. I can I can also say this to any business owner that is managing a commercial sales team and is managing a marketing team. Isn't it is there nothing worse than walking past your sales guy and he's typing emails all day? Now, those emails should be pre-built by the content team. So the content team, I believe, is also being underutilized and they need to come on the journey. Um, you know, they need, to co- they need to come on the journey all the way and then they need to be getting the feedback as well of how that journey and how that story was told and how it played out. Um, and I just, I don't think that's happening enough. I don't think that's happening enough. But yeah. when it does happen, it's a beautiful experience for everybody and I find that sales reps then are less likely to burn out because there's framework, there's structure, then there's no more ad hoc. It almost feels like there is a status quo, there's a status, there's a status quo that look, man, just hire a sales guy, go figure it out, go do your thing, run around like a headless chalk. I know we wonder why sales guys are leaving companies and changing companies every 12, 18 months. It's brutal. It's tough. It wears down on you. Then your performance suffers. And then, Every other part of your life tends to suffer once your performance suffers. And then you want to change jobs. You want to move on. So again, take the time to do it properly. Take the time to get everybody on the same page.
0: Yeah, that really resonates with me. and I I really see a future here where uh, there's potentially even a breakdown of various success metrics or what traditionally has been measured as success metrics because of I don't know, adversarial relationships or finger pointing, and, finger pointing and and these things devolve into where on the sales side, it becomes, I just want leads to follow up on and marketing's, well, if that's our metric, we just had a hundred people download our white paper, there's your leads. <laughs> And the guys this are one. saying, what are these? What am yeah. I supposed to do with this? And yeah, You
1: downloaded our white paper yesterday. Did you get a chance to read it? Yeah, exactly. I'm sure you did. Yeah, that's. Yeah. but
0: that was yeah. your lead. And they get forced into these scenarios. And so what resonates with me is the idea of either side looking across to understand how are we firstly finding someone who's completely unaware of who we are and what we do and how to find them in a way that matches our our personas that we've built up or ideal client mm-hmm. profile and how are we attracting them and how are we reaching them and how are we then starting the relationship that you mentioned and how are we then having conversations and having that story across the board completely aligned that's the future i think you're totally right
1: yeah i think that's the way it, it has to be done and if for no other reason you have to do it out of respect for the consumer everybody mm. wants consistency And I think also consistency breeds trust. Even if you're consistently bad, people at least will say, I can at least count on that guy to suck. So so you have to be consistent in your message. You have to be consistent in your cadence. You have to be consistent in in everything. And yeah, you can't segment the business. Like to me, it just sounds like the, the two most ridiculous segments of the business. It's a segment. The two departments that are pushing the message to the market. But it's just the way it's been. And I think a lot of that has to do with I think a lot of that has to do with, I think salespeople are guilty of that and they're they're guilty of that because a lot of salespeople will come in and come in for a lot of energy, a lot of hype when there's tremendous resume and all the rest of it. And yeah, and we all really want the job, really want the job. Yeah, I can do that, mate. If you give me 10 leads, I'll I'll close five, crazy things like that. We've all heard it. And it's just like, I think as business owners, we need to slow down. And just be like, that sounds good. That sounds awesome. That gets you hyped. It gets you jacked. Yes, we've got this live wire in here and we just need to generate leads. Get in the leads and we'll close them. And that's cool. But And sometimes you do get those unicorns that come through. But those unicorns, man, they're few and far between and you can't leverage your success to those unicorns. And then what happens is, and I've been this guy. So because when those unicorns get too much leverage, they're going to use that leverage. They're going to want more money. They're going to want more days off. So even from a business standpoint, By having everybody on the same page um, and having a culture of adding value, you're actually de-risking your business so much as well, because now everyone's on the same page and that's how it has to be. So if somebody has a problem, if somebody has an ego, if somebody um, doesn't want to be there anymore for whatever reason, that's cool. Next person up. Who's next? Who's stepping in? Because we know what our message is. We know what's working. Better yet, we know where it's breaking. Because we all understand the process also the process. So, so what happens is we're having that initial conversation. Everybody says the right thing. And then they never want to take our phone call again. Okay. Let's assess that part of the process, right? The same way you would have assessed your content piece if it wasn't getting traction is, well, what is it about this content piece that we're not getting any leads? Is it the wording? Is it the imagery? Do we need to move that thing to the left of the page, to the right of the page? And and we need to be having those conversations across the board um, as a unit as a sales and marketing unit. And right now the sales team's having their chat and they're in their echo chamber and the sales teams in their echo chamber, right? And it's creating this unnecessary friction and hostility. And, and now this is, um, this is where sales comes into it. It's not even a plug cause it's disappointing. But now all of a sudden it's, I don't want to do with these sales guys anymore. I don't want to do with these marketing people anymore. Now it's every day I'm putting out a fire an internal fire. I can't get my team on the same page. As you said it, there's a lot of finger pointing going on. So what's actually happening is now I see this all the time, man. Is now you're instead of leading a business, it's like you're you're leading a a clinic. You know, it's like a psychiatrist's clinic because everyone's coming in with their problems, and you're not focused on your vision. Nobody's focused on the motives. Nobody's focused on the philosophies. Nobody's focused on the consumer and the problem that you're solving for that consumer. Um, we haven't even gotten to getting technical deliverables yet. We haven't even talked about the cool innovative things that we've invented or created, and you're putting out those fires. And I really believe a big part of that is due to the finger pointing culture that happens between sales and marketing, but also within sales teams. Because if you have five good sales reps, one does really well, one's not going to do well, everyone in the middle could go either way. And we've all seen that as well. Again, I think whether it's marketing, sales, content, How you're greeting people at the front door, everybody has to be on the same page with the narrative, first and foremost. They have to understand it intimately. They should be able to recite it. Um, Then we need to say, how do we introduce this narrative in a digestible manner to inspire a transaction? Or alternatively, get people to rule themselves out. And if we get people to rule themselves out, the salespeople will be happier as well. So that's the way I look at it, and that's the way we approach it.
0: There's something you just mentioned there, and I think this would be really great context for people sitting outside of sales teams to understand about sales teams or the way that sales teams are built or or potentially grown is this belief that if I want more sales, I just need to hire more salespeople. (laughs) And your value proposition as a company and, and what is articulated so well on your website is... That comes with problems and, and that's not understood. Could you tell me a little bit more about what am I gonna deal with if I just hire more salespeople because I want more revenue?
1: So the way I look at it is like this, right, Is you've got to take it one person at a time. I always say the first salesperson you hire shouldn't just be an enthusiastic sales gun who's gonna make a hundred calls a day. Yes, you want those qualities. You want all those qualities, they're important. But what you want is somebody who is coming in and saying, Hey, Let's create scalable sales process. You know, let me get to know the different stakeholders of the business. Let me spend a little bit of time with the solutions team. Let me spend a little bit of time with the marketing team. And let me then, obviously, whoever I'm reporting to, let me understand what our goals and what our missions are. And let's reverse engineer that. Okay, I need to get three deals a quarter. Okay, great. Realistically, then how many people am I going to need to speak to? You know, and again, running off some, some basic metrics of rejection. Cool. Well, if I'm any good, I should be able to convert 10%. I mean, you got to think even Apple's only got 15% market share and they're like a prolific organization. So when someone starts telling you they're going to convert over 15 to 20%, just say, slow down. Don't put that pressure on yourself.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We don't
1: need that much conversion. How many deals we need between now and the end of the year? Can you get us there? And you know, if we play a numbers game, if we need 10 more deals by now and the end of the year, then we obviously need more than 10 leads. So you have to bring everybody into that scenario. Now, that's the first thing you need to do. Is the so the first person that you bring in, they must have that structure, and then they must introduce that structure to everybody else. It's that simple. And they've got to take, they've got to be able to lead by example for sure. So it's good old fashioned leadership, but they've also got to have a game plan because what I typically find to answer your question more directly is that if I go and hire five people, I can guarantee you that you're going to have five people doing five different things. Hmm. How is that going to work? So straight away, you're suiting yourself in the foot because you're taking a, an approach of, in theory, they should all be good, but how five different approaches are not going to work. Everyone's got a different personality and that's fine. You can apply your different personalities to the same process. But the idea that we're just going to bring people in or more people, here's the product, here's the solution, or you've been in the space for a long time, mate, you know what it's all about. Go and make some calls. You're just almost sending them into this traumatic response where they're like, oh, it's my job. It's going to make calls. It's going to make calls. It's going to make calls. It goes haywire. We wonder why like, sales guys are having seven shots of coffee a day and then freaking out. I have about five or six. I'm not even, but I'm, <laughs> But my point is, it's like you're creating these anxiety provoking environments mm-hmm. by not having structure and by not creating that alignment. And I think we've all seen our fallen salespeople who, tell you the wall stories. I used to do this back in the day. I used to do that back in the day. I used to be really good at this and I really used to be good at that. And it's like, you've just burnt out because of this unsustainable approach. There's no process here. And sure, processes break down and they need to be re- redefined and reinvented. But if you don't have that process and you bring five people in and you've got five people running around like headless chooks or doing their thing, you're just going to get, you're just going to get a lot of fires to put out. That's what I believe. So make sure that first person that you bring in is the right person. Make sure you're implementing the structure. And don't just bring somebody in because you have more leads. You need to know what you're going to do with those leads strategically, step by step by step by step. Mm. Um, If you have a super sophisticated solution, there might be seven or eight steps in your sales process. Um, If if you have a subscription-based solution, okay, it might only be two or three or four steps. That's fine. You don't have to overcook it. But you have to ask yourself, okay, how much information can this person take at a time? Obviously not a white paper, right? White papers are great, by the way. You can leverage them. But don't expect somebody to read a white paper and then want to do business with you straight away. White papers do give you credibility and they can be leveraged in emails, post-conversation, value ads, because we love adding value. Remember, the point of a white paper is to add value. It's not to really sell your solution. Yes, Um, It's a credibility builder, okay? And credibility is really important. I think a lot of people underestimate how content can just make you so credible. We've represented, in our very early days, companies, that we, we call them naked companies. It was like the leadership was hiding. There was no real motives. We've just got a cool product. We just want deals and we don't really have content. And once people hear about it, it's all good. No, that's not the experience you need to give people. The experience you need to give people is again, you need to tell that story. You need to have structure in how you're telling that story. The sales team needs to have structure. As well, the sales team needs to have leadership. And guidance and if you're going to hire people just because you 've got the leads um, and just going to chuck bodies at the leads, uh, I think that's an age old mistake and look we've 've been guilty upon it, uh, being guilty of it once upon a time myself um, and it's not until like that over and over you no know, this is not a good way to scale a business it's not a good way to scale a sales team, but then what happens as well is then the turnover ensues so let's say a lot of people also do this thing, Jeremy, in all industries right, where they say well mate. <laughs> We'll hire five people and we'll just cut the bottom one or two. We'll hire 10 people. We'll do a mass Mm. recruitment. Dude, how demoralizing is it
0: Mm. when
1: you come to your office one day and you sit at your desk and say, oh, where's Tracy? Where's John? Oh, mate, we had to let him go. How unsettling is that? You don't sit there and pump your fist that you've made it to another round like Survivor. You sit there and you say, shit, we got a culture of turnover here. Next thing you know, people are like, they're letting people go. I might need to jump on Seek. I might need to jump on that job ad website. I might need to hit up my old colleague from my other company on LinkedIn. And you start seeing the interesting behavior. Now all of a sudden that one hour lunch break turns into a two hour lunch break because that person is anxious because you've got a very average culture, trying not to swear. And now people are like, dude, I want the back door. I don't want to be here. I don't want to come in every single day knowing that I could be on the chopping block. Sure. That's a part of business. We all have to perform. We all have to deliver. But bringing five people, cutting, bringing them in, cutting, and just keeping, continuing to cut the, as my business partner Nick would say, continuing to cut the tail off the dog, it's just not good for anybody.
0: Mm. And it's
1: just going to create a negative culture. It's going to create anxiety. And that's why I think a lot of businesses also kind of get trapped. They get in their own way and their revenue kind of stagnant or a two to five million business or a five to $10 million business. And it's just, yeah, you're just essentially retaining your legacy clients and you're churning it. You're churning your team. And I also believe that the market notices when you turn your team. You know, this week I got a call from Bill. Last week I got a call from Ali. This week I got a call from Sarah. So what is going on over there? Yeah. And the market notices that because mm-hmm. we're on the front line, you hear it, oh, getting a call from you guys again. You know, and it's just how many people did you go through before, we, before you gave us the keys? And it's not a good look for anybody. And it creates, we always say, just going to create this vicious cycle, Jeremy. You know, so do you want to be stuck in this vicious cycle? feel crap about yourself because you keep rolling people and then it just becomes the new norm and you got to carry that energy with you, right? Because what are we doing this for, man? What are we trying to make money for, man? To walk around grumpy all day, to walk around anxious all day with the shits all day, you know, we want to spend time with our families, want to do cool stuff, want to buy nice things, whatever it is that matters to you. Um, but we have to remember why we're doing this and it's not to feel like crap. And I think if you have that mentality, then I think you'll take a more cautious and respectful approach. These are.
0: Very wise words. I um, deeply appreciate everything that you've been talking about. I think there's so much to take away here. And I think the most important message here really is one of empathy and humility on individuals who are working together to look to better understand how are they unifying towards a collective mission. And I feel in the way that you've described the future of business and high performance, that's going to be absolutely critical.
1: And, And let me just say this back to your point. Also, empathy for the person that you're trying to sell to.
0: Hmm. And
1: I really believe that's why content is important. It is hard. It is infinitely harder to connect with somebody if they haven't been exposed to your content. If they, if you haven't touched on their problem, if you haven't been relatable, if they haven't seen you somewhere, even if they've just eyeballed it and read half your article, it is so much harder to make a connection with that person and find out where they're at and solve their problem and prescribe something that is going to make their life easier by making their business better. It's hard to do that unless you have content. Um. So when I do believe that when you are writing that content as well, yeah, cool, we all have bells and whistles and, and we all want to kind of talk to everybody about how awesome we are. That's great. That individual, like, have some empathy for that individual. They don't owe you anything. They don't need to read that content. They don't need to take your phone call. They don't need to open that email. They have no obligation to take a meeting with you. Right. So be very, um, gracious with them at all times. Um, again, they don't owe you anything. Um, be very respectful of where they're at. They're humans as well, going through a lot. Um, it's the nature of life. And, Come at them with that angle. And if you can maintain that energy through the process, dude, the, sale, the sales cycle will get shorter. There'll be less friction through the deal process as well. And it'll be pleasant. It'll be nice. It'll actually be a nice. No- you'll still be tired at the end of the day, man. <laughs> You're still going to go and say, man, I left it all on the table today. And you know, I gave that person everything I had today. And, and you probably fall asleep on the couch at 8.30. But it's better than going home and being like, all right, man, I just made 100 phone calls. Nobody wanted to take my call back. And marketing teams putting out crap. Mm. I'm exhausted. We're going to go home tired anyway, but at least we need to be. We need to always say, let's go home with our souls intact. Let's at least get a thank you at the end of every conversation. Uh, Content team and marketing team and commercial sales teams, they need to unite. (laughs) And if they unite, dude, if if you're converting those marketing leads, marketing is going to be happy. Um, If marketing's happy, you know, they're going to give you more stuff. And if the sales team's happy, then you're going to look good. Your return on investment numbers are going to look fantastic. So, just makes sense to me. I don't understand why I'm not seeing it more often.
0: It's very inspiring stuff. I appreciate you so much for coming on and sharing your insights and wisdom. Thanks, Ed.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. We appreciate you guys. And I'm very flattered that you think uh, we'd be worth speaking to. So I really
0: appreciate you guys over (laughs) there. Thank you. No worries. Thank you.